Welcome back to the Florida History Podcast. I'm Carter Krishnire, joined this week by Ryan Ray. We're going to take a short break from our uh, look at forts around the state of Florida to talk about something that's been on both of our minds, Ryan, a lot. And it's something that's really been on my mind since I've written these two recent books about Florida history and spent some time as a result in uh, Escambia County, especially in Escambia, but in, in West Florida. But we always hear kind of the stereotypical discussion of the difference between North Florida and South Florida. Uh, Robert Buccellato and I have done a podcast on that, Robert having uh, grown up uh, in Broward County and uh, now obviously lives in Tallahassee, and uh, all the talk about how Central Florida is different than both regions, and and, um, we've talked a lot about that with the citrus industry, etc. But as I go through history, Ryan, I think the biggest distinction I see in Florida – and I think it's still a cultural distinction that's unlike any other is the difference between West Florida and I'm calling it East Florida because that's historically what it was called, but really West Florida and the rest of the state. Yeah, it's, it's great to join you here today from what was briefly called Middle Florida, right? Which we right. Um, here in Tallahassee. But yeah, I, I've really been, it's great to talk with you about this today. I've really been turned on lately in a way that I've never been aware of before uh, in terms of, you know, we talk about the nature of Florida, what is the real Florida, and so on. This this topic that we're going to dig in today is so exciting if you're interested in that kind of stuff about what Florida is conceptually, because I think truly um, that Apalachicola River line that separates East and uh, Central time zones uh, is also a major cultural divider, and we'll talk about some things that um, I didn't know about until pretty recently, including repeated votes by folks in the rest of Florida to seed West Florida to Alabama uh, or Georgia. There's different uh, different arrangements, uh, and basically Alabama and Georgia not wanting them, and uh, and that sort of thing. So the schism there, the Panhandle of Florida, isn't just a strange appendage geographically. Um, and, and representationally, but it really is an entirely different kind of area. I'm glad to, to dig into that with you. Yeah, and in the recent book on the American Revolution, I wrote The American Revolution in Florida. Uh, my goal was to uh, cover the revolution and the British period in what was the entirety of the Floridas at the time, which was, um, in fact, East Florida and West Florida, as the British had divided the colony along the Apalachicola River. And uh, uh, in the first book, actually talked a lot about Middle Florida, where you are, and and, uh, the seat of Middle Florida was the mission at Appalachia, and the other big mission was at St. Mark's. So very much what we think of as the Big Bend region now is Middle Florida. And as I dug into this, and I... And the first book, uh, Florida and the British Before the American Revolution, spent a fair amount of time talking about Pensacola and the, sea, uh, the, the siege of Pensacola in 1707. But still, most of the book ended up being about uh, about northeast, what is now northeast Florida, right? East Florida at the time. And um, most of the uh, discussion of, of the war of uh, uh, the Queen Anne's War. Uh, outside of St. Augustine ended up being about Middle Florida, ended up being about even areas near the Flint River, which are now in Georgia, right? Uh, places like Albany and, and Bainbridge, uh, those places didn't exist then. But that what is now that area, in addition to what is now Tallahassee and St. Mark's and, and the Big Bend region, very little actual connection between West Florida 
and what it's the rest what was the rest of the colony of Florida at the time. That becomes more pronounced after the British takeover in 1763. I've just published a book in the last few weeks about Florida and the American Revolution. And Ryan, yeah, I, I know you've read the portion I did on West Florida, where I, quite frankly, I, I, I forced a chapter on West Florida in. But the bottom line was West Florida was so culturally different than the rest of the British holdings in North America that they couldn't attract settlers. Uh, indigo as a potential uh, crop failed there. Uh, they couldn't get settlers from the rest of um, what we think of as the 13 colonies to the north or from East Florida or from what is uh, what is now Canada, uh, what was upper and lower Canada, which had become British uh, possessions after 1763. And it was so disconnected with only a couple thousand people in the colony that they continued to use Spanish currency throughout this period as kind of the de facto currency. And there was no connection at all to um, to East Florida, which was governed from St. Augustine, which was a colony that, as I write about, uh, has been un underappreciated in history but had a, a significant impact on, on British war planning and on um, the Crown's thoughts in the Revolutionary War. And St. Augustine was a very important um, important center of, of, um, of British governance and British military. Uh, and you, like, I've, like I've written about, African-American, free African-Americans taking up arms against uh, the American colonists and Native Americans being organized um, and, and uh, armed by the British to take on the American colonists. All of this... The book was supposed to be about Florida as a whole, but it ended up being a book about uh, largely about what happened in Northeast Florida, modern Nassau County, modern Duval, uh, modern um, uh, modern Flagler, St. John's and Volusia. And um, and and uh, I'll get your comments on this in a second, Ryan. But then I think after this period, we're going to talk about how those areas kind of connected to what is the rest of Florida. And the growth of Florida came uh, from those areas, and the Pensacola area continued to be an outlier. Yeah, it's clear that you know uh, I've spent some time in, um, in, in in Mariana, in in that part of Jackson County, that part sort of the ridge along the the northern border. Um, and you know, in 2014, I was living there during the Gwen Graham campaign. And I asked the people, hey, where do you guys go for fun around here? And they said, Dothan, Alabama. Um, and so, yeah, there's clearly a large schism there. Well, whereas I would say that if you ask people in the southernmost counties of Georgia where they go, they would say if it's on the East Coast, Jacksonville, if it's on if it's in kind of uh, uh, the central part of, of, of southern Georgia, they go to Tallahassee. Yeah, so I, I think after the British period, and then the British period, as I said, uh, Pensacola, which was connected, that I should I should have said the colony of West Florida, the British colony of West Florida, uh, started at the Apalachicola River and ran all the way to the Mississippi. So Baton Rouge, Natchez, and Mobile were the other three places that were settled, if you will, or, uh, 
towns that were settled all had under a thousand people, uh, and Pensacola only had about a thousand people at this point. Um, and Pensacola was the capital. Those areas are completely disconnected from um, from. Uh, East Florida, from St. Augustine, from New Smyrna, from St. John's Bluff, which is the town uh, that uh, was founded on the St. John's River during the British period, which is is roughly where the Arlington neighborhood of Jacksonville is now. Uh, if you cross the Matthews Bridge and, and you go uh, to Regency Square Mall, or that you know that mall's kind of decrepit now, but that that area of Jacksonville, there was a settlement there uh, settled by the British that swelled in population. On, um, in 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 the, in the early 1780s, as loyalists fled from Georgia and South Carolina, and, and lived in that town, and St. Augustine itself, uh, actually, probably population-wise, we don't have exact numbers, but I talk about this in the book. St. Augustine, population-wise, was probably behind uh, Philadelphia, New York, Boston, and Charleston. Probably the fifth largest settlement at that point in terms of population in what we would think of as British North America. It was bigger than any city in Canada. It was bigger than York, which became Toronto. Uh, maybe it wasn't bigger than Quebec City, but it was in that kind of top six to eight. Uh, Pensacola, Mobile, these places had basically were like villages. They had nobody living there. It were fortified military towns, um, garrison towns. And so even at that point, Pensacola is more connected to Mobile, New Orleans, uh, well, New Orleans uh, eventually um, after the Spanish take back over. But yeah, so actually after 1783, Pensacola is directly connected to New Orleans. Uh, before 1783, it's connected to Baton Rouge, Mobile, Natchez. Um, and once the American period starts, you still have St. Augustine as a major settlement. We know why. Um, Tallahassee is the capital, right? It was where it was midway between Pensacola and um, St. Augustine, although I think significantly it's east of the Apalachicola River, which I think is very significant when we're talking about culture and, and, and kind of the growth of Florida and, and the feel of Florida. And um, the big uh, American settlement, the big post-American uh, takeover of Florida settlements that, that, that sprung up were two places, Key West and Jacksonville. Jacksonville, obviously, very close to St. Augustine, but then Key West being the other one. And Key West gradually... Um, Although I guess initially you could say it was fairly connected uh, to New Orleans and maybe lesser so to Pensacola because of it was on the sea lanes, which is why it was so important. But eventually you get this growth of Florida that kind of grows from St. Augustine south uh, and, and, and west towards uh, – uh, uh, towards the Tampa Bay area, Fort Brooke is established. The Seminole War is really important to this. Uh, and then um, from Key West North. But um, the, the thing I would say also is that the Seminole, Seminole natives were, um, were run out of the panhandle. So actually a lot of them were on, a lot of them were around the Apalachicola River, right? The bluffs are along the Apalachicola River. And when Andrew Jackson invaded Florida, he chased them into the peninsula. So once they're in the peninsula and the Amer the Americans are trying to um, eliminate, that's what they were doing. Let's be honest about it. I know this gets people angry, but, but they were trying to eliminate the natives, uh, relocate them, elim eliminate them. Uh, however we want to uh, phrase it, but we know what their goal was. I think the entire peninsula ends up getting connected to one another because so much of peninsular Florida ended up being um, uh, ended up being explored 
for lack of a better term, because there weren't necessarily settlements. But even the settlements came because of the Seminole Wars, Ryan. And I, w- I would say uh, St. Augustine being what it was and where it was uh, was kind of a trigger on that. And then you had Ocala, Fort King, which is now Ocala, Fort Brook, which is now Tampa, uh, eventually Fort Myers, Fort Pierce, Fort Lauderdale. These places all pa- pop up uh, as a result of that war. Um, so all of those places end up being connected from the 18, 18, uh, uh, 30s, 1840s onward, right? There, there is a, a direct connection between um, Ocala, for instance, and Fort Lauderdale, just through that Seminole War. Mm-hmm. And of course, we know, that, you know the first military governor of our state is the person most uh, closely linked with the, the Seminole War, the yeah. Seminole War. Yeah, um, although as... Uh, as our colleague and, and my co-host, uh, Robert Bucciolato, likes to say, Ryan, uh, Andrew Jackson hated Florida, as it turns out. But, but yeah, this is, I think, really important also because um, Tallahassee is, is picked at the ca- as the capital. But if you even look at the initial kind of settlers of Tallahassee and the plantation owners in, in uh, Leon and Jefferson counties – they all had connections either to Georgia, uh, to the north, or they had come from the St. Augustine or Jacksonville areas. There wasn't this sort of. There was always, um, there was always some sort of divide along the Apalachicola River, where uh, those who relocated from from Alabama may move there, but they didn't develop the huge plantations west of the Apalachicola River. And I, I talk about this in the book around, among, uh, along the American Re- about the American Revolution, that another reason why East Florida prospered under British rule is that there were these plantations uh, set up up and down the St. John's River, uh, just like the plantations in South Carolina and Virginia and Georgia. And uh, what ends up happening is uh, because uh, East Florida stays loyal to the British, uh, as a war measure, a lot of those slave those plantations get scuttled, and and the uh, the slaves are freed, and they're armed, and they're sent into Georgia to attack the Americans. But um, they did they were able to create a plantation culture and grow crops in East Florida. This did never happened in the areas west of the Apalachicola River. Uh, Pensacola never really developed that um, until until I guess the American period, and even when I think of that. Um, maybe you would know this better than me, Ryan. Are there are there plantations? Are there like do you have plantations like you have in Leon County? Like, uh, are there are there those sorts of plantations in West Florida? Because I don't think I've ever seen one. You get the sense. Um, I've spent some time, like I said, in Jackson County and up in Cottondale, um, in Graceville, of course, the uh, birthplace of uh, Florida Governor Wayne Nixon. Um, you definitely get a plantation. Um, you definitely have a similar agrarian pattern of a few wealthy families, everybody else basically, if that's not a middleman there, being impoverished and kind of a plantation mindset and a sort of plantation um, influence pattern of economic development. But I, I don't think it was as organized as it was like here, here in, in like Leon County. Yeah, Leon County, uh, in fact, developed uh, because Leon County was settled by the Americans, right? There was never any British or Spanish, or at least the continuous settlement of Tallahassee talked about. Right, yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of like, uh, like D.C. or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. As a, as a, as a provisional, like as, not a provisional, but as a, specifically as a 
Yeah, so he got settled in much the way the rest of the American South was, whereas uh, St. Augustine uh, was different because it had been settled by the the Spanish and governed by the British. The British, who initially did want to make it like the rest of the American South, but uh, in in classic British fashion, once the American colonists rebel, they're not... um, This is one of the fascinating things I found in my research. I've always, and part of this is being Indian, uh, felt like the British were these... Historically, these horrible racists, these uh, the, these unbelievable exploiters of race. In my research, I found that the British by 1775 are saying, you know, we really don't like the colonists. They're the rabble, right? Because they, they, one thing about British society that I've learned through the years is that race and ethnicity may be one thing, but classism is, is the ultimate thing, right? It has always been a classist society. So at, at a certain point, the British are beginning to think, you know what? Uh, we don't like these rabble. Uh, the Native Americans, they're not as bad. They're probably more worthy of loyalty. We should arm them. And 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 similar uh, feelings about African Americans. Uh, and that's why Britain outlawed slavery a lot earlier than, than the U.S. did, for instance. But uh, once the U.S. was independent. Uh, but to your point, I think there was also this kind of Jeffersonian um, ethos west of the Apalachicola River. It was a lot of quote, yeoman farmers. Uh, There weren't crops that grew particularly well there. Uh, And I I think, uh, to my point, Leon County was settled by by other Southerners, right? And so the plantation, the huge plantations that you would have in in the Charleston area, for instance, or the the area around uh, Richmond and Williamsburg, you have that in Tallahassee. You don't have that in Pensacola. So Tallahassee, again, kind of more connected um, to to the rest of the South and the rest of Florida than West Florida was, which which I think was more like uh, Alabama or Mississippi, although you had huge plantations in Alabama and Mississippi. I think maybe things just didn't grow that well in the Florida panhandle. Crops didn't grow as well. You get the sense of more of a parish-style system when you're out there, you know, and, and you get very much the more the French... You know, when, when you're in Pensacola, it's obviously way closer to Mobile, and it feels much more culturally in a, in a visceral sense that you can feel um, of a piece with the whole, um, with, with an entire more West-facing, you know, French-facing New Orleans-involved um, kind of society. Um, there's also been significantly... And, and Mobile, of course, was a was a French settlement also. Yeah, so continue. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, and, and so... About, I'd like to explore that as a cultural matter. I mean, you get um, you really the, even the borders were different. Today's Florida border, Western Florida, was not always the way that it was, and that was a matter of some dispute over many, many iterations over the years, wasn't it? Yeah. So uh, we did a podcast. I don't know when it, uh, it was when I think when Hurricane Ida hit um, Louisiana. Uh, we did a podcast on the Republic of West Florida because there is an area of Louisiana um, that is called the Florida parishes Um, and those parishes were and in fact if you look at the map uh, Florida had it was always a panhandle because even like the shape of of those areas that were still part of Florida the way um, they they, they butt butt into Louisiana the shape is kind of still similar to the way it is now it was just a longer panhandle Um, those areas uh, were part of West Florida until uh, 1812 when they declared or 1810 when they declared their independence as the Republic of West Florida 
Florida. And then the, the Americans took it. And then they took a piece of Florida, which included Mobile and southern uh, Mississippi in 1813. Um, and, th- and the Spanish always disputed this, right? They, they felt like they still governed all the way to the Mississippi River. Um, so those areas were, um, were, in fact, only out of Florida for nine years when Florida um, was, was ceded to the United States. But they had already been incorporated into these new states of Alabama and Mississippi and Louisiana. So they weren't returned to um, – to, um, to Florida when, when Florida became a U.S. territory. But what I think is, is really important for folks to understand is we talk a lot about the Louisiana Purchase in, in American history. The Louisiana Purchase, which was huge, huge landmass, did not even include the entirety of what is now the state of Louisiana, as there is a significant portion, as I said, that was part of Florida still and remained part of Florida until um, until 1810. Uh, and and uh, formally was seated in 1819 along with the rest of Florida, but was effectively part of the United States from 1810 onward when uh, the U.S. invaded and took took that area. But this this is always connected Pensacola to Mobile, which, as you mentioned, was a French settlement, and to uh, New Orleans, Baton Rouge, um, and uh, and Natchez is another place I mentioned uh, mentioned in some of my writing that. Uh, existed another French settlement that then did fall into British hands for 20 years uh, and was governed from Pensacola. Uh, And here's another important distinction, just geographically, they have bayous in West Florida. I mean, I've just released on our our website, uh, on our Florida Squeeze website, uh, videos of uh, Tarkland Bayou, which I recently visited in Escambia County. And there are other bayous, Cinca Bayou. uh, There are a few bayous in Okaloosa, um, Santa Rosa, and... uh, and, and Escambia because the geography is very not not just the uh, um, not just the culture but the ge- geographic features are similar to Louisiana. Yeah, um, and I think that you can kind of feel that there, can't you? I mean, we've talked a little bit about um, the, uh, that drive on I ten, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, and so you know, a lot of people in Florida travel back and forth to to New Orleans. Um, certainly one of my favorite places uh, in the world. Um, one of the only places hotter than where I grew up in Tampa, in my opinion. Uh, just a pure August day, uh, maybe in the August 20th in Tampa. Truly one of the hottest uh, places I've ever been to. And you can kind of feel, uh, you can kind of feel it as you go. Um, that drive along I-10, it just seems to be interminable, right? Like you're, you're making progress, you pass Mobile, you're through Escambia, you're through, through Santa Rosa. And you think you must be coming up on Tallahassee anytime, right? But there's a <laughs> that says, what, 150 or 200 miles? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think I tweeted this a couple months ago when I was out there that I'm driving back to Tallahassee, and um, the road sign says Tall- Tallahassee 180. And it's just alarming. Now, you do have road signs on I-75 that say Tampa 180, or I know there's a road sign I, I remember well on uh, when you leave St. Augustine on I-95 that says Miami 318. But th- those things are different because you're going continuously through kind of large places. Like I-95, you never leave an urban area. The entirety of the of the drive from Nassau County till, till Miami. Um, I-75, you very outside of like Sumter County and maybe like the eastern, the, the, the northeastern portion of Hernando, you never, well, obviously Columbia uh, County, but I'm thinking when you're, once you hit Gainesville, you don't really leave a populated area until, um, until Naples, right? There's, there's the small stretches in, in Sumter and, and, uh, 
and uh, Hernando that are kind of rural. But other than that, you don't. Whereas I-10, there is nothing but small towns under the population of five or 6,000 along US-90 and, and right off of I-10 once you clear Crestview. There's nothing until you get to, until you get to Quincy and Tallahassee. Yeah. Yeah. It's a drive. Unlike, in fact, there are people who tell me it's a drive, uh, unlike any other East of the Mississippi in the entirety of the United States. It's not just a unique thing for us as Floridians, but that people from, um, far less urban States than Florida say there's no stretch of, of interstate. The only places you find stretches of interstate like that in the rest of the country are in places in, in the West, Right, places like Colorado or Kansas or or, or, or Nevada, right? These huge uh, New Mexico, these huge expanses. Uh, Texas, actually, the most infamous drive is from El Paso to San Antonio. Um, right, where there's just nothing. Yeah, where there's the, nothing for 500 uh, miles. But this, yeah. in fact, I, there's a, a friend of mine in the Midwest who says that this is the East Coast or the Eastern U.S. equivalent of that drive. It's the Pensacola to Tallahassee Drive. The great, uh, if I can plug uh, the great, one of my favorite books of all time, I think interestingly related here, uh, the great Gloria Jehoda's uh, book, The Other Florida. Um, it it was a great book. I recommend anybody who's listening to this check out Gloria Jehoda's The Other Florida. Her um, chapter about Tallahassee, she speaks ex- extensively about West Florida and North Florida and Middle Florida, um, but uh, i.e. the other Florida. Uh, but she, her, her chapter about Tallahassee is called 200 miles away from anywhere else um and you really do <laughs> you experience that uh the isolation of Tallahassee has has had a lot of um, impacts I think on on it culturally and politically um and yeah you can't but understand that within the context of this west Florida um sort of balkanized uh turn unified uh, part of the state here yeah so let's turn the page and talk a little bit about the political differences and the cultural differences over the course of the last hundred years. We've spoken a lot about the history. This explains why it's different. There was outside of Tallahassee, just thick uh, vegetation that couldn't be developed. That wasn't desirable. Crops couldn't grow between um, roughly Crestview, really that what is now Crestview, Okaloosa County, all the way to um, all the way to uh, live Oak Lake city, that area. So, um, Live Oak and Lake City very much uh, kind of Florida places. I mean, I would say um, people who are just kind of urbane and haven't traveled the state and are from South Florida or from the Orlando area might say, oh, well, what's the difference between Putnam County and and and, uh, and, and places like Bonifay and Chipley, right? What's the difference between Palatka and those places? I, the world is the difference, really. The Palatka, very important place in Florida history. Uh, they would say the same thing about the places Adalia hit. Oh, Horseshoe Beach, uh, 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 Steen Hatch, Hachi, those places are, aren't they just like Destin? No, they're not. Like culturally still, they feel like Florida um, West Florida feels like Alabama or Louisiana. Um, so let's talk about the. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, how, how would you. Yeah, I guess just the same as you. How would you characterize that difference? Well, there's still kind of a very Florida esque um, connection to the peninsula and connection to um, historic kind of uh, coastal industries. I would say all the way till. Yeah, basically Apalachicola, Port St. Joe area. I think Panama City West is 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 different. Um, 
And there's also this historical connection, as I've talked about, to um, very Florida-related issues, the Cross-Florida Barge Canal, the Seminole Wars, uh, all of these things that were very uh, – uh, the citrus industry. I mean, Palatka, incredibly important place before the, the Great Freeze of 1895. You know, another place that's kind of uh, forgotten about now uh, I, that I would put kind of in the same – maybe not quite in the same bracket as Palatka, but, but also mentioned uh, was kind of an important frontier place, very Florida place, was Arcadia. It's further south, but in the interior of the state. Um, those places all have sort of connections to one another, whereas the areas from Panama City West don't. They develop differently. Um, there was always more of a, a, a connection. I mean, the first time I realized this, I have to say is I went to a student government leadership training when I was in high school um, in Mariana. And I think it was the last year Broward County participated because the reality was most of our, uh, most of the people we sent from Broward, uh, where I'm from, uh, were Jewish and they started giving Christian invocations and <laughs> the sort of things they might do in Jackson County. So uh, unfortunately, you know, we, 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 I don't think Broward attended ever again after that and, and uh, created their own thing uh, for student government leadership. But I went out there for a week and uh, I became friendly with uh, with, with a, a lot of the kids from Escambia and Okaloosa. And as it turns out, I mean, at the time, I'm not really into uh, college sports. Any- I mean, I still like college basketball a lot, so I shouldn't say that. I-, I used to be a big college football fan. I could care less about it now. Don't pay attention to it. But um, I was a big college football fan then. And I, you know, I assumed they weren't Miami fans, even though I was a Miami fan. Uh but um, I thought, oh, you know, FSU, Florida, you know, I, I have a soft spot for all the Florida teams. And obviously later I would, I would go on to go to the University of Florida. Um, you know, let's talk, let's talk about that stuff. They were all Alabama or Auburn fans, like, and, and hated Florida and Florida State. <laughs> it, was, it was really kind of uh, uh, an eye-opener to me. And I was thinking, hey, is this an outlier? And I stayed friendly with one, one, one of uh, the guys from there uh, that I met at, the, at that training for a few years. But then realized as I then explored more and then went to college in Gainesville, that this was an absolute cultural phenomena. When you got west of the, uh, and you could say, oh, you can root for whatever sports team or college you want. That's fine. But it, it's really a cultural marker that they were Alabama and Auburn fans. And from that, taking, accepting that as reality allowed me to kind of understand this thing a lot better. And that was 30 years ago. We know that as an old saw, one of the you know uh, one of the biggest shibboleths or truisms is that Florida is south of the South, right? And this region that we're talking about, more or less, uh, is is the exception to that rule. You really do feel like um, you might, you know, we all know we we've all heard about the, the term LA, meaning Lower Alabama. Uh, that is applied to the Panhandle, especially the parts west of the Big Bend. Um, and I think that we kind of really, right here, where you, the area where you're talking about is really the tip of the spear of, of where all this this kind of cultural geography comes together. Yeah, and so let's talk about Henry Flagler's railroad for a minute, because I think then this is the thing that absolutely ties it all together. Uh, so in, in 1900, there were three cities in Florida, for all intents and purposes. Everything else is a town. The three cities are Pensacola, Jacksonville, Key West. Um, And so Henry Flagler eventually 
not eventually, like soon after this, builds a railroad. We've, we've done podcasts and articles and conversations about it. I don't want to rehash the history of the, the timeline of the railroad being built. But um, for better, for, 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 to expedite this conversation, builds a railroad from Jacksonville to, to Key West, right? It initially goes to St. Augustine, then to Palm Beach, then to Miami, then to, then to Key West. That links together Key West and Jacksonville. At that point, Palm Beach, St. Augustine is revitalized, right? Because St. Augustine had kind of died as this big, as this important place, and Flagler revives it with the railroad and with uh, the building of the Col- the, the Ponce de Leon Hotel and uh, the Alcazar Hotel and all of that. Uh, does the same thing in Palm Beach. Palm Beach is basically like uh, another St. Augustine further south, the way he develops it, and then Miami grows. So all these places are linked immediately. Like by 19, 1915, 1920, Jacksonville, St. Augustine, uh, Palm Beach, Fort Lauderdale, Miami, Key West, uh, they're all linked together. Same railroad, same sort of settlers. The people who are moving in or coming to all those places, they take on a similar character. Um, on the West Coast, you have Henry Plant build his railroad. And you have um, the development, which is also very interesting, of Sarasota. Um, I don't know as much about the development of Fort Myers, I have to admit, but I, I do know Edison and Ford. Um, obviously had estates in Fort Myers, so it was obviously developing along the same time. But Sarasota's development is fascinating, and that's connected to the development of Tampa and Henry Plant, which ultimately gets tied to the East Coast uh, via uh, uh, transportation and trade, via the Lincoln Highway being built down the state, um, and, and, the, and, and uh, the development of the automobile and, and the building of the Tamiami Trail. So by 1930, by the time the Great Depression starts, and the Great Depression largely started, as we've talked about previously, Ryan, because of the Florida land boom and bust. But all these places are tied together. Tampa's tied to Miami via the Tamiami Trail. The Lincoln Highway ties Miami up towards Ocala, the, the, the interior of the state, Orlando, Ocala, those places. Um, the railroad has tied Jacksonville, Miami, Key West, uh, and all the places along the East Coast together by this time for 30 years. Everything is tied together on the peninsula. Tallahassee is the capital. It's kind of peripherally tied to these places, but there is no consistent railroad or anything oh i should have also mentioned sorry the railroad that connected i totally forgot about this the first railroad before flagler's railroad was the railroad that connected fernandina beach and cedar key going through gainesville uh ocala those places so um all of these places are connected to one another and trading with one another people are moving from one one area to another um and west florida is out on its own there's no real connection between jacksonville Fernandina, St. Augustine, those areas, and the places west. And so they just develop differently. Um, But then the politics is interesting because there is a period of time in the Florida legislature where some of your most important legislators came from west of the Apalachicola River, the likes of Dempsey Barron and W.D. Childers. And you had um, uh, um, Fuller Warren was from Bluntstown. Uh, and, and you had a lot of influence from Jackson County. And that um, eventually became kind of the genesis of the pork chop gang. I know we talk a lot about Charlie Johns, who was from Stark, as being the epitome of the pork chop gang. And certainly I think 
legislators from Bradford County and from uh, uh, Swanee and, 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 and Hamilton and Madison, the, these, ver- these places that were very racist and segregationist at the time and were um, sending land-owning conservative Democrats to the legislature that were trying to keep down um, the, uh, the, the, the urban areas and were attacking the St. Petersburg Times and Miami Herald. That's, that is a big part of it. But much of it was due to the legislators west of the Apalachicola River who had the ultimate power and who didn't want to let go. Yeah, um, it's funny. Now you have a governor who is from reputedly an extremely Florida place, right, by Pinellas County, Dunedin. Yeah. Um, but who really effectively, and, and what he says out loud, is basically from nowhere, right? <laughs> he's from, he's from uh, the Midwest. He's from Northeast Ohio. He's from Western Pennsylvania. He's from anywhere but Florida. Yeah, yeah. We lack the passion that the uh, New Englanders have, uh, The Red, what was it, the Red Sox nation. We don't have that. We don't understand that in Florida. Me- meanwhile, making this truer and truer, but the nexus that you're talking about is kind of like the scenes where our state comes together. Um, and we had, I think, if you zoom out a little bit, this period, you have a place where Florida begins. I think that, um, you know, again, maybe my parochial bias as someone who who appreciates and, and supremely reveres, you know, these great reformers like Leroy Collins and Ruben Askew and Bob Graham. Um, but you see, I think, the, the, the sort of agrarian this could be anywhere in the South. This could be Kentucky. This could be Georgia just as well. Part of of, of area of Florida that, that was typified by the pork choppers parochial rule over the state kind of gradually coalescing into something. You have that golden age, that progressive era of reform where you have people from the big cities. That's really ultimately what happened. You saw the political, Florida's political representation basically is even out into what it should be after the 68 Constitution, where you have people from the big cities like Miami, Fort Lauderdale, Tampa, Orlando, begin to actually assert the uh, the, the statistical dominance that they've had for a while since after World War II begin to kind of coalesce into, uh, or be enacted rather, politically. Uh, but you have a political culture that is on the cusp of being born there. And that kind of gets a little bit muddied, but still makes progress in some ways during the sort of neoliberal 90s. Um, and then really Republican rule, in my opinion, not to get too far afield to our, top, our topic here, but again, conservative, agrarian, rural, Florida rule has now asserted itself again, right? And, and, and do you see a parallel there? Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think um, one of the things that I was encouraged by when the Republicans first took control was that Jeb, Jeb Bush was from Miami and you had people like Jack Latvala and Tony Jennings uh, and Charlie Crist who were really important in the Republican Party who were all from urban areas. Now, of course, um, as time went on, uh, uh, that faded. Charlie Crist became a Democrat and uh, the, the it, we began to have rule by, I would say, more exurbs than rural areas. But the rule is now from places like Pasco County and Marion and and, and Clay County uh, has a lot of influence. But yeah, to to your point about the history and the progression, um, little plug here for Robert Buccellato's book and his and his video that he's produced via the Florida Squeeze on Dan McCarty. Because if you grew up in South Florida around politics, the um, the election of Dan McCarty in 1952, and Dan McCarty was from Fort Pierce. He was the first uh, St. Lucie County, first governor from uh, South Florida, is seen as kind of a political revolution. 
and is seen as like that moment we finally uh, got the state on the right track. And then he dies in office, months into office. And Charlie Johns, of all people, becomes the governor because he's the Senate president. He's from Stark. He's the, the leader of the pork chop gang. And there is so much talk about um, always been in South Florida political circles about the the 1954 primary. When Leroy Collins, who was from Leon County, by the way, he wasn't from South Florida, but really was connected to, to Miami more than any other place outside of his home, hometown of Tallahassee. Um, when Leroy Collins became governor and beat Charlie Johns in the runoff uh, in 1954, that being the, the moment that South Florida and urban areas began to assert itself. And Collins was urbane. Collins was sophisticated. He was different than the kind of people Alabama and Mississippi and Tennessee and these these Louisiana, these sorts of states in the South were, were, were electing. And there were a lot of people in South Florida who take pride in that, who say, Ryan, if we hadn't won that, if we hadn't gotten Leroy Collins, we hadn't made Leroy Collins the governor because, yes, he was from Tallahassee, but he became governor because we finally had the votes in South Florida where we could outvote the, the rural areas. Um, Florida would have ended up like Alabama. That, that That's actually um, – and maybe that thought's dying off as, as the generation passes and a lot of the people who, who felt that way die, die off. But that was the view in South Florida when I was growing up. If we hadn't elected Leroy Collins and we being South Florida, if we hadn't – gotten him in the governor's mansion, Florida would be like Alabama. We would have had a George Wallace in there. We would have had a Ross Barnett in there. We would have had an Orville Faubus in there. So that's yeah. something they take a lot of pride in. And it's ironic. Yesterday I was looking at when Collins ran for Senate at the height of um, the racial backlash in Florida, 1968. Leroy Collins, this revered figure, one of the greatest figures in the history of this state, became the first Democratic nominee to lose a U.S. Senate race since Reconstruction in 100 years in 1968 and only carried three counties, which were Alachua, Miami-Dade, or what was then Dade County, which he won, by the way, two to one. That's why the race was even close. He uh, And Dade was by far the, the most populated county in the state at the time. Uh, Alachua, Dade, and Monroe. He even lost his home county of Leon County. That's how bad kind of the, the, the racial backlash was at the time, which had the, the prospect of kind of tying the rest of um, rural Central and North Florida to West Florida, but I think the important thing that happened, ironically enough, was the uh, was the election of Ruben Askew, who was from Pensacola of all places. That kind of took um, Florida in a completely different direction and revitalized this Florida culture that became. Uh, um, in the 70s and 80s, as you talk about, before the rise of neoliberalism in the 90s, became a very uniquely Florida culture. But now, as we look at it, Ryan, it really was a uniquely Florida peninsula culture. It's yeah. not a culture that spread to, to west of Tallahassee. And again, yeah, that's it. That, that is it. The, the <laughs> it, it is. It, there's, a, there's an ally. Um, there, there's an alliance that goes from Tallahassee to the big cities, which is basically in opposition to the rural and exurban um, conservative pork chopper culture, which is essentially a culture of dominance from a small elite uh, reigning over everybody else, a sort of patriarchal 
uh, kind of society into one uh, that, you know, meets the expression, you know, the, the sort of evolutionary expression of the urban form. Um, and that tension, uh, basically, you know, you can just throw in West Florida with the rest of it. The folks that are urban dwellers even there are different from and outside of the, the, the Collins uh, Coalition. Yeah, and, and I think that's it. The Collins Coalition was uh, the first the McCarty Coalition, which became the Collins Coalition. Uh, but as I said, Dan McCarty died a couple months into office, uh, was very much um, the coalition that made Florida a modern, urban, kind of hip place. And so there has always been this alliance between Leon County and the urban areas in the rest of the state, which is why if you go to Tallahassee, and quite frankly to Gainesville too, I mean, the, 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 the most striking thing about Gainesville, actually even more striking than Tallahassee is the number of people who, who grew up in Gainesville and don't have a Southern accent <laughs> because it's so kind of cosmopolitan that way. And obviously I went to school at the University of Florida. Tallahassee, as it turns out now, I've spent more time in Tallahassee uh, working in politics and government than I, than I did in, even in college in Gainesville. So understand Tallahassee really well. Tallahassee, like Washington, D.C., like Sacramento, uh, I would say like Albany, uh, has taken on like this this culture where it's brought people from different parts of the state. And so it's very different than um, the, the, the surrounding areas. Uh, Austin, I would say, is completely different. Austin, at this point, is might as well be Atlanta or Boston or some, you know, megalopagus. It, it's really not even... A, a Texas place anymore. So that's why I didn't include Austin in that, in, in saying that, but Albany Sacramento are kind of just bigger versions of Tallahassee where they've attracted people from across the rest of the state. So Tallahassee is not like, uh, the area surrounding it. And I think, um, there's always been, and, and you can speak to this as, as someone who's very prominent in, in, in Leon County politics today, there's always been kind of this, um, alliance where Leon County looks to what's going on in St. Petersburg or Fort Lauderdale or Orlando for guidance more than what's going on in the areas around you. Well, um, that's nice of you to say. I appreciate it. I'm trying my best here to, to bring a, a voice uh, to folks who have been left out of Leon County politics for too long. But yeah, I think that's exactly right. I find here in Tallahassee a lot of people, and I think it's quite a credit and quite a compliment to Tallahassee that there are a lot of people that grew up here you know a lot of even in the urban areas there is a lot of transients and a lot of people who moved in for a job or after college or sort of in Tallahassee you get a lot of people that are from here and go maybe go to school at FSU or, or at FAMU or maybe they go somewhere else and they come back here that I think is unusual um, even I think is a little bit different from, from Gainesville. Yeah, that's that, that's very different than Gainesville. That's that was yeah. actually that was an observation. My wife, who's not from Florida originally, but has worked in state government forever now, has been living yeah. here for th- almost thirty years. Um, made when I took her through Gainesville once and said, "Hey, here's where I went to school." This, this, and and we we spent a little time. Uh, and we we have relatives in Ocala. Uh, I have relatives in Ocala, so I'm in Ocala a lot. Um, but 
that's an observation she made about Gainesville. Like, Gainesville is not like Tallahassee. She's like, so many people go to FSU or FAMU and they stay or they go back uh, to, to Miami or, or Tampa, wherever they're from, and then move back to Tallahassee. That doesn't happen with Gainesville. Gainesville is this place we, we lived for four years, five years, however long we were in school. We, we you know, and, and we go back occasionally, but we never want to live in Alachua County. So it's very different than Leon. Leon's taking on a totally different vibe, which is why Leon County, quite frankly, feels like South Florida to me. As someone who grew up in South Florida, which is maybe why I'm so comfortable in Tallahassee and call it my other hometown, which is not something I would ever say about Gainesville and certainly would never feel that way if I lived in Pensacola. Some, that's why I think there's such a strong political culture in Tallahassee that is progressive and that is in keeping with, that does have the urban values that the Democratic majority of uh, the, of the areas that we're talking the, co the Collins Coalition does have in common. That's why I'm so excited to work um, in that uh, milieu um, and I, because it's it's real. It's not imported from other cities. It's real. It's native to here. And despite uh, the best efforts of people who want to drag us back, <laughs> uh, backwards uh, into that sort of more rural or more exurban, I mean, basically you have here a developer-based establishment, uh, Republican-oriented folks that are playing in, in, in elections here on behalf of big special interests who are just looking at Tallahassee and Leon County elections as a business proposition. They are trying to turn this really cool, interesting place, this really great city uh, with a really um, ecumenical, metropolitan point of view um, into a flavorless, boring Republican suburb. <laughs> and that really is animating the politics yeah, yeah, like I, like I think, I think it's it's a it's a very much an expression of exactly the tensions that you're talking about when it comes to West Florida and the rest of Florida. Yeah, the exurbs, uh, like you know, turn it like into the exurbs of Pasco County and Clay County. I mean, right now, uh, you could argue. I, I mean, I'm always saying, oh, the the Florida places are Key West and and uh, uh, Miami Beach and Fort Lauderdale and and Sarasota and 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 uh, uh, St. Augustine. These are these these are the heart of Florida. St. Petersburg, Clearwater. These this is this is the Florida I know. The reality is now the most Florida places are probably Clay County, uh, Pasco County, St. Lucie County, um, the southern part of Brevard, not Titusville or Cocoa, which I would say are very Florida, but Palm Bay, Port. St. Lucie, uh, right? These are the Deltona. These are, this is what Florida has become. So you're, you're constantly fighting that. Um, so let's wrap up here. I want to ask you, 2014, you're working for Gwen Grant. You have a district that is at the time based in Tallahassee, which is why she wins. But you also have Bay County. And as much as we're, we've, we've referenced um, Pensacola, uh, in this and Pensacola being uh, connected to to looking towards New Orleans and, and Louisiana and the history of Pensacola just because it's an old historic city. Um, Panama City to me, as close as it is to Tallahassee geographically, there's no actual direct way to get there. So this is part of the reason why it, it, it's, it's developed the way it has. Panama City to me, even thinking back to um, the 1990s, when I began to understand this this cultural divide, um, and and understood um, after my experience at that student government leadership conference, etc., uh, Panama City to me has been kind of the most Alabama place in Florida, and Bay County is diametrically the opposite of Leon. 
So the divide, the dividing line is somewhere. We keep referencing the Apalachicola River. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's somewhere else in that area. But very clearly, Bay County is on the other side of the line. So talk about uh, your experience there, because it had to have been major culture shock being a Floridian like you. Yeah, it really was. I really kind of um, feel comfortable talking about Florida writ large more because of my experiences there. I had the true, the true uh, uh, experience that is so quintessentially Florida there. Um, I stayed in supporter housing um, in a place called Grand Ridge, which when I was there, the population was about 800 people. Um, and I stayed uh, in a, in a, in a the home that's owned by a, a prominent family there who, who, who gave it uh, as, as, a, as an in-kind donation to the campaign. And I saw everything, a lot of the touchstones that you see that are kind of like the, the edges of the revised uh, in, in Florida's culture. You know, I, that was a yellow dog Democrat uh, area, right? Where, you, you know, there's a part of the solid South that later became the last area of blue dogs, conservative Democrats that were party switchers. Folks would vote Democratic locally and vote Republican at the top of the ticket. You had some of the, uh, probably I would say in that big bend to more west area around Bay County, or basically around Gwen Graham's former congressional district, the old you know, uh, uh, Steve Sutherland, um, Gwen Graham seat, which was redrawn. Um, that is probably the ticket splitting capital of Florida and maybe maybe the country. I don't, I don't know of many places where more people are splitting their tickets on a partisan basis than that area. Um, you know, it also had the highest percentage of uh, government employees in the country. I think in a in a congressional district outside of the uh, Maryland or Virginia. Believe it or not. Yes, that's right, and you, and I think that definitely informs people. Uh, I think that informs people's approach. You have a more public. Uh, sector in a more civically minded uh, population there, you still see this to this day. I mean, you've seen neoliberalism and you've seen um, austerity kind of crushing the public sector and taking away good paying jobs uh, for people that are working on public works things and, and things that are um, for, for, for the good of, of, of the public and not for profit. But you do still see, you know, walk people from Wakulla and Franklin County and, and, and Ma- Madison, Taylor, those counties up here commuting to Tallahassee for work and kind of importing and exporting their varying views inside and outside of that every day, which I think is a very unique um, uh, geographical arrangement that you don't see anywhere else in Florida and again, not very many places else in the country. Yeah, my experience out there was the very, very last bit of ticket splitters. I think that only Glenn Graham, maybe, going back, could have won that seat, right? Because uh, in 2014, there were only two flips from R to D in the entire country. It was a very uh, conservative election cycle. One was kind of an asterisk um, thing in Colorado where you had somebody that was, was scandal plagued and was taken out basically because of local concerns. And then you had this seat, and it was because you have older African-American voters who may feel not super attached to Democratic politics, but were absolutely there for Glenn Graham. You see older white Republican or maybe Dixiecrat, older uh, blue dog Democratic voters who have a very fond, and I'm not talking a few, I mean thousands, tens of thousands, who had fond thoughts about the Graham family and about Bob Graham because everybody benefited from the prosperity of that period and the great expansion of, of public goods that came out of the same tradition that we're talking about from 
Kurt Leroy Collins on. So that was a, that, that's something that that informs my approach every single day in terms of what I'm doing here. Um, and it was something that really cemented me as part of, so, of, of, of someone who you know really had had Florida completely as as a total uh, holistic whole kind of uh, you know tattooed into my heart. Yeah, and and I found. It really weird when I, I I've gone uh, to to these places just in terms of kind of the the, the Florida ness or lack of Florida ness of them and the and maybe the lack of pride in Florida which I mean I can certainly understand they have they have had a different development experience which I think has been the the whole point of this podcast Ryan I'm not trying to condemn uh, Pensacola or, or, or Fort Walton Beach or, or uh, uh, Crestview or any of these places saying, ah, there are lesser places than St. Augustine or Palatka or, or Arcadia or any of the places we've mentioned today. I'm just saying that they develop differently and that that different development history goes back to what I've discovered in my research and writings in the last couple of years and the two books I published this year, this calendar year, goes back to the 1700s. I mean, and and um, then the connection of the railroads, which is something that I'm going to write about in the future, uh, connected, as I said, Fernandina to Cedar Key, Jacksonville to Miami, or Jacksonville eventually to, to Key West, um, Tampa and Sarasota eventually to Fort Myers, and then... Um, connections by roads in between that were not um, connected to the uh, to the rest of the state. And in fact, I mean, even now, as we talk about developing mass transit in the state, and you, you have to feel kind of left out of this, Ryan, in Tallahassee, we're talking about obviously Brightline being the first higher speed rail in the country. It's got, uh, going from, uh, it goes Miami, Fort Lauderdale, West Palm Beach, Orlando, um, eventual extension to Tampa. We're talk- we are We have an Amtrak line that runs through the state uh, that touches Tampa, touches St. Pete, touches Orlando, touches uh, all, all of South Florida, right? There's stations up and down in South Florida uh, and then goes to Jacksonville and then leaves and goes towards Savannah. There is no way to take a tr- anything but a car. I mean, I guess you could take a bus. But I, even, I don't even know how many bus lines run these lines. Uh, from uh, Jacksonville West towards Tallahassee and Pensacola. I know there are bus lines that run frequently from Ocala to uh, South Florida, but they don't go north of Gainesville. So there's this, um, or no, when I say north of Gainesville, they don't go west of Gainesville is what I should be saying. Um, there's this um, development that took place that interconnected all these places that still leaves out the panhandle. And it's it, to me, it, it's, it's a bad thing. I mean, I feel like the state maybe should subsidize air travel to, to Tallahassee and rail travel and something um, in, in, in West Florida to connect it to the rest of the state. But um, it, it's just something very, very kind of strange to me that that hasn't that doesn't seem to be changing. And I guess the last point to this would be Katrina um, wiped out the rail line that went from Jacksonville to New Orleans. Amtrak has not reopened that. And um, I, I, I don't think there's been this large clamoring to reopen it. I mean, people in Jacksonville that I've talked to that take Amtrak, take it down to South Florida, or they take it north to, towards uh, the Northeast. And there's no clamoring for them to, to be able to take a train towards New Orleans and Houston, um, which has effectively cut Tallahassee and Pensacola out of the national rail map. It really has. Um, and I saw, I think that really the people here are excited about it. Um, and if I might get conceptual for just a few seconds here, um, you know, I saw that Republicans, we're dumping on people getting excited 
there was a, uh, a, a federal map. There was some interest from the Biden administration. They had like a broken line that went from Mobile over to Jacksonville across I-10 for, for potential rail investment. And a lot of us, including me, were really excited about that. I saw that local Republicans dumped on that and said, you know, dismissively said, oh, the local leftists are wetting their pants over trains and basically, you know, uh, as if that was not desirable or something like that. And we know that many prominent Republicans are paid off by the asphalt road building industries. And we know that's part of it. And, uh, and, and I'm just going to jump in for a second and say yeah. that this is something maybe you and I should record in the future. The reason that Metro Rail in Miami, which was going to be an amazing system when it when it was planned in the 1970s, would have been like uh, the metros in 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 Chicago or Philadelphia. Well, not quite New York or D.C., but Chicago, Philly, Boston. That level got gutted by Republicans once they took power in, in Miami-Dade County. And similarly, you've had nothing in Hillsborough uh, or Pinellas of the of the uh, of that nature is because of the influence of the road building uh, and asphalt industry on specifically Republican politicians in the state. So continue. Absolutely, I would love. We should definitely to dig more into this, Sam. Um, and, and they go together. That's why I don't think. Excuse me. These things are so important because the material, the material aspects of it, like the the political pressure that comes from big money votes um, on behalf of these lobbies. And the cultural aspects, right? If you're a person who doesn't have a car, which is a lot of people, right? And that shouldn't be prevent you from participating in the society. You basically have no concept. You have no way of learning about this thing. And you're, you're cut off from your brothers and sisters across the world if you're not able to get, affordably get somewhere else. Flying is above the means of somebody usually who doesn't can't afford to have a car. So you're even more isolated. You're even more alienated into your own uh, community your imagination is necessarily cut off your solidarity your ability to uh, to to know and be aware of diverse uh settings and people getting to know people from other backgrounds that's one thing that transit and mass transportation enables and empowers people to do and republicans hate that for cultural and political reasons we know that when people are separated from themselves when communities of interest are diluted and extended, distended, that helps Republicans. We know that when you have people living together near a, in a community with one another, they tend to care more about each other and have more empathy and, and tend to display that by, by voting um, in, in more democratic directions and in, in participating in voting at all at a, at a higher level. And these things are all poisoned to Republican domination. So they're very, very inextricable. And I would love to dig into that more. Yeah, and the uh, Republicans love to, uh, in this day and age, uh, um, you know, dump on bikes and and all and uh, mass transit in, of any kind. Uh, and, and so, as I said, the 1970s when Dade County—I don't want to get too partisan here, but I guess we are—Dade County was still run completely by Democrats, and you had them electing uh, in Congress. Claude Pepper, Dante Fasell, and, and Bill Lehman. Think about that. A Florida county elected those three guys at the same time to the U.S. Congress. That's how... Yeah, and, and as I said, uh, Leroy Collins got beat statewide by over 10 points in 1968, but he carried Miami-Dade by uh, by 25 points, I think, or 28 points, something like that. That's how, how much different than the rest of the state it was politically. Um, they had this extensive plan for an unbelievable Metro Rail, and yeah, some of it got built, right? There were two lines to Metro Rail now. There is the Metro Mover in downtown, which is very good, I, I will I will say. Um, it, it's as good as any downtown people mover system in, in North America. Um, but 
it wasn't built out the way it was supposed to. And they, th- this has continued in the attitude towards bikes and bike lanes and scooters that outside of Miami, which I see a lot of scooters, I see, you know, and as I said, Metro Mover runs, um, the Florida cities are the worst cities for biking, biking and pedestrians in the country. Oh, and I should, okay, I'm going to make it a little bipartisan here, even though I'm not a huge fan of Mayor Le- former Mayor Le- Lenny Curry of Jacksonville. He had kind of that similar vision for Jacksonville in terms of, okay, let's build out a people mover. Let's maybe create some more bike lanes, some mobility issues within Jacksonville. But other than that, you know, Republican and Democrats alike in this state don't seem to take that as seriously as they should. Um, Orlando, which has been go- under a Democratic mayor for 20 years now, has is the worst city in the country for bikes. Yeah. Um, and I think D.C., uh, interesting, I don't want to be too negative only about, about, about West Florida because I think there are cool people that agree with us in Pensacola. Um, you've seen a, uh, an effort to re-municipalize uh, the electric utilities that were privatized um, a while back. Um, I think that you're seeing a, a serious drive to bring uh, to bring public sector. There has always been a serious kind of like um, liberal set in Pensacola. So that's something I should have said earlier, that while we're talking about West Florida as a whole, uh, there was always in the urban core of Pensacola, uh, even though they get outvoted easily now, they haven't elected a state rep that's a Democrat from Pensacola since 98, um, since D.D. Ritchie's last term. Uh, they, yeah, yeah, no, but they have a lot of kind of good activists in Pensacola, which is not the case in the rest of that region. Yeah, no doubt. Um, and uh, you know, here's something for uh, you know, here's something for, uh, for for public infrastructure that can kind of bring us all back together and take us closer to our true value. Excellent. Well, thank you, Ryan, for joining us talking about this. We uh, we're we're gonna have to do that thing on mass transit because I think. Um, Tampa Bay area is probably the single worst metropolitan area, uh, uh, major metropolitan area in the country for mass transit uh, in the entire country. And as I said, uh, the Miami area didn't get built out the way it should have. Uh, Miami, Fort Lauderdale area didn't get built out the way it it would have been. And, um, And certainly the Orlando area could use some more mass transit too. Jacksonville, we'll have to talk about also. I I do, uh, I know we sounded very partisan. I do uh, want to commend Mayor Curry for his his efforts there, which might be why he clashed with Governor DeSantis so much, because we know Governor DeSantis is very anti uh, any of this stuff, right? He's anti electric vehicle, he's anti bike, he's anti uh, anything progressive. So maybe that's why uh, uh, he he, uh, ultimately didn't want to do anything to help Lenny Curry out, out in Jacksonville. Anyway, we'll be back with you next week. Thank you once again, Ryan, for joining us. Thank you so much, Greta. And we'll be back next week.